Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you, singers and musicians. Can we give them a clap of appreciation? Awesome, awesome time of leading us in worship. Amen. Are you ready for the Word of God this morning? Are you ready to hear from God? I want you to repeat after me. Say, God, my heart is open. Speak to me. Change my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I would like to welcome and introduce Dr. Mike Caparelli. He has preached and ministered the Word of God here before. Uh, he has books that he has written, very, very uh, insightful and interesting read. I encourage you to pick up some books and uh, just, just open up your heart. I know he's going to communicate a message, and, and I want you to open up your heart. You know, the communication of the Word is one thing, but the receptivity is another. Amen. Amen. I want you to just reach... Reach down deep within your heart. Let faith rise up. And, and let's receive the word of God. And I know it's going to be a blessing to you. Would you give a great big victory welcome to Dr. Mike Caparelli, a good friend of mine. A friend of mine. <laughs> good morning. So glad to be here. I'm here with my wife of one month, Alicia, in the front row. Stand up, stand up. My daughter, Olivia. I like to show off how pretty they are. I, I love your pastor. I love his wife. Uh, get it done, people. You know, there's not much of a gap between what they verbalize and what materializes. Uh, people are frustrated in churches where they hear uh, promises made and they're not kept. Uh, when all, after all is said and done, there's usually more said than done. How many of you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> But uh, Pastor Richard gets stuff done, amen? amen? And he does things with excellence. I am so excited about your youth church, about the giving. Yes. I can't wait, hopefully come back next year, see the project in its full form. Uh, some pastors spend their, all their days uh, staring up the steps, and Pastor Richard and Lisa step up the stairs, amen? amen. Thank God for shepherds that get things done. Amen. Hallelujah. I, if you don't know, I do, uh, I, I, I speak on behalf of a ministry that I founded two years ago called Unmuted. Unmuted is all about giving victims uh, their voices back, those that have gone through trauma. Um, I have written a book on recovering tr from trauma. The Adult Correctional Institute in Cranston uh, purchased a copy for every inmate in minimum, medium, and maximum uh, last year, and it was adopted into the curriculum. Um, it's all about writing your story and through the penning of your testimony that there's an overcoming power. Revelation 12, 12 tells us this. And uh, it is actual neurological changes that happen in the brain and how trauma is processed as you tell your testimony. Uh, so you can get a copy of the book and the workbook. It's called Pen Your Pain in the Parables. If you've gone through anything traumatic in your life, um, if you've ever been stuck in an incompatible, get a book called The Ox in the Ass. Uh, Moses commanded us not to yoke the necks of oxes with asses, for this is an unequal yoke. So if you've dated asses, you want to get this book right here. Amen? Amen. That's what the scripture uses the word. I'm just, it's there. Little yeah, King James. You can actually get the whole set, both sets for $40. You'll save $10. You can see my beautiful wife, Alicia, at the end of service, and she'll help you. I have a word for somebody here. I'm going to just share it. I don't ordinarily do this, but I am Pentecostal, and I do believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit. And I was up at 2 a.m. 
with my brother John Stebbin. We were praying. And uh, I, somebody here that's in recovery from addiction, uh, and you're in recovery, and it's only a short period of time, God wants you to be patient. You feel like you're on the outside looking in. Uh, you can't participate in the festivities. Uh, everyone else is happy while you're low, and you're wondering, what's wrong with me? Uh, God's just saying, be patient. In fact, your brain, when your brain was created, when he made your brain, he put some feel-good chemicals inside your brain. Um, I could teach you a whole lecture on this, but two of those chemicals, one is called dopamine and the other one is called serotonin. The brain produces these chemicals to produce something called well-being so that you feel good. Dopamine and serotonin, they, they have somewhat of the same purpose, but they t have two different functions. Dopamine is an antidepressant. The brain produces this to lift you up out of a pit. It lifts you up. Serotonin is a natural anti-anxiety. It calms you down when you're stressed. Calms you down. Somebody say dopamine. dopamine. Serotonin. Serotonin. Now when you use substance, whether it be booze or uh, cocaine or heroin or whatever, any type of substance, it floods the brain with dopamine and serotonin. That's why you feel so good when you use. The problem is this. The brain interprets that particular moment as it doesn't need to produce these chemicals on its own anymore. It sends all the factory workers home, packs up their bags, the drugs is going to produce this effect, and now you become dependent on the substance to produce these chemicals. The real effect of addiction is not seen when someone's high. It's seen when they're not high. Their inability to deal with life on life's terms. So now as you've come out of addiction, as God has called you out of Egypt, as he's called you out of slavery, there's something called the renewal of the mind. Thank God that he made your brain renewable. Isn't it amazing that Paul, long before neuroscience, knew that the mind was renewable? Do you know that Paul said that in a day and age where they believed the brain was in stone, but Paul having the Holy Ghost knew the brain wasn't in stone. He knew that it was in flux. He knew the mind was renewable. That's why he said, be transformed in the renewing of your mind. And God wants you to know in the course of time, your brain will replenish its ability to produce dopamine and serotonin. In fact, the last word the Holy Spirit would say to you is exercise. Serious. I'm being serious. Physical exercise. It does have some value. Amen. I'm done. Hallelujah. I got a word for you this morning about listening to the voice of the shepherd. If you could stand up with me. The reading of God's word, John chapter 10, verse 27, listening to the voice of the shepherd. Hallelujah. Thank you for your word, God. John 10, 27. When you have it, say, Pasta Vazul. Okay, amen. I got you all distracted now. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for your word. Yes. You are the good shepherd. Yes. We are sheep. Yes. Let he who has ears, yes. let him hear. The Bible doesn't say, let he who has mouth, let him speak. It says, let he who has ears, let him hear. Yes. It's assumed that we would speak. <laughs> What's not assumed is that we'd listen. Lord, one is instinctual, the other is intentional. Help us be very intentional about listening to your word this morning. Help us listen more than we speak. 
Anoint this word, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Am I, am I standing in the wrong place with the echo? Is it good? Right here? Stay standing, please. Let's read this. <laughs> Sorry to be Catholic on you this morning. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's all we're going to spend time on is that one verse. Let's say this together. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. One more time. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Once upon a time, growing up in New York City, a young man, his father teaches him everything he needs to know about living in New York. I grew up raised by a man that was from the Bronx. He taught me a lot about New York at a young age. He taught me where to get pizza. He taught me uh, the scams and the hustles. He taught me what to do with my money, where to spend it. And this young man, very similar, grew up in New York with a New York father teaching him about New York City, and he taught him how to save money. And the man's about 20 years old. He walks into a New York bank, and he asks for a loan for $10,000. And the banker says to him, he says, do you have any credit? He says, I don't have any credit. He says, well, do you have any collateral? He says, yes, I have a $200,000 Bentley parked outside. The bank is looking at him confused. So I'll give you the keys to the Bentley, I'll give you the car, you give me the 10000 They make the exchange, two weeks go by, the man comes back, he pays the interest in the $10,000, he retrieves his automobile, the banker looks at him confused and says, sir, this made no sense. He said, you asked for a $10,000 loan, in return you gave us your $200,000 Bentley. He says, it makes perfect sense, where else was I going to park my car for two weeks in Manhattan for $33.27? Look at your neighbor and say, it pays to listen. How many know it pays to listen? How many know it pays to listen to your father? Now in John chapter 10, Jesus uses a metaphor to describe the aspect of listening. And he uses the metaphor of sheep listening to shepherds. He doesn't talk about students listening to their rabbi. Instead, he chooses the metaphor of sheep listening to shepherds. Why this simile above all other similes? Why this particular metaphor of a sheep listening to shepherds? When you study the relationship of a sheep and shepherds, you'll find out that sheep, when they don't listen to their shepherds, they are prone to drift into dens filled with wolves. They're, they're prone to wander, even drift off of a cliff. Sheep listen to shepherds, not just to learn, but they listen to live. And when you and I, when we learn to listen to God, we are not just listening to learn, but we are listening to live. I don't know about you, but I don't know how to live without the word of God. 
I didn't grow up in a home where good skills were taught to me. I had to, I had to rely on the living word of God every step of the way. He had to teach me how to parent. He had to teach me what to do with my money. He had to teach me how to be a husband. He had to teach me how to minister. He had to teach me how to be patient. I didn't just listen to learn, but I listened to live. The Bible says man does not live on bread alone, but he what? He lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. How many can say, I am listening to live this morning? I need his word to live. I need it to teach me. Now, if you've been through any type of trauma in your life, which is pretty much all of us, I got news for you, trauma begins the day you are born, when you leave your mother's womb and you step into this earth, that is a very traumatic experience. You go from a very comfortable place, it's the only world you know, to a brand new world, and the very first thing you do is you scream. You are born, you are conceived in trauma. All of life is one traumatic episode after another. To a point where your amygdala, that part of your brain that houses your survival instincts, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, those survival instincts are engaged. And oftentimes, if you go through enough crisis, the amygdala is stuck, you're in overdrive, and you're continually fighting even when there's nothing to fight about. That's, that's post-trauma. You're fighting even when there's nothing to fight about. And you can't listen. Anything I say to you, you don't listen receptively, but you listen defensively. There's two kinds of listening. I can illustrate this with sports. You can either listen like a catcher in a baseball game, or you can listen like a goalie in a soccer game. If you listen like a catcher in a baseball game, I throw my point to you and you catch my point. Are you catching my point? You listen receptively. But if you listen like a goalie in a soccer game, every point I throw your way, you block every ball that comes your way. You're continually listening, not receptively, but you're listening defensively. Let he who has ears this morning, let him hear what the Spirit says. Because if you're not hearing God, it's not because he has a speech impediment, but it's because you and I have a hearing problem. I mean, no, God does not have a speech impediment. God speaks clearly. He speaks vividly. He's continually speaking. He speaks through creation. Romans 1 says his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his makeup has been made known to us. He speaks through creation. He speaks through conscience. He speaks through the cross. Most importantly, he speaks through his word. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. It's hard for us to hear, isn't it? We have a tough time hearing. Sometimes it's because we anticipate what the answer is going to be. We know that God doesn't always say go. Most of the time he says slow. Sometimes he says no. Other times he says grow. Hardly ever he says go. Either way, it's all good, amen? How many will thank God for the no's? How many thank God for the slow? Not yet, slow. How many thank God for the grow? You got some growing to do before I give you this. We all like the go, amen? I like when he says go. Like, yeah, baby. Finally, where you been? Why'd you take so long? 
Now, I want to I wanna hug the text for a little while. I, I like spending time with the text, analyzing it, dissecting it. I want to see this text for a moment from another lens. I want you to see in this text factors that influence or affect your listening. Factors that are affecting your listening. If you'll pardon me, I come from the lens of behavioral science. My PhD is in behavioral science, which is basically a mix of psychology, sociology, criminology, human behavior. I find that the Bible is not just a book of theology, but it is also a book of psychology. It's a book that I don't just read, but it reads me. How many have had the Bible read you? Long before Jung or Freud or Erickson or Bindura or any of these guys, there was the 40 men that wrote the Bible under the unction of God, and it is the greatest psychology book ever written. So this morning, I want to look at this particular verse, and if you would uh, indulge me while I, I, I look at this aspect of listening and what are some of the factors in this verse that influence our listening. And the first thing I want to talk to you about that's affecting how well you listen is something called your affections. Somebody say, my affections. Now watch this. Jesus says, my sheep. Somebody say, my sheep. The term my is a term of endearment. It's a sentimental term. When I say my wife, I'm saying she's mine. I'm saying her heart belongs to me. I'm saying my heart belongs to her. My is a personal pronoun. It's not enough for you to say Jesus is Savior. You have to be able to say he is my Savior. And then he looks at you and he says, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. My, my means your heart belongs to him. It means your affections belong to him. My sheep, he's saying this sheep right here, this particular fold, I have their affections and their affections have me. I have their affection, my sheep know my voice. They know my voice. I have their affection, my sheep, I have their attention. They know my voice. Whatever has your affection holds your attention. In fact, the issue is really not an issue of attention as much as it is an issue of affection. There's some marriages right now where your wives or maybe wives are complaining because you're not paying attention. But women being very intuitive, remember the day when you paid very close attention. They know that your issue is not focus because anything you love in your life, you focus on it very well. You are a very focused person. The the issue is not attention, it's a more underlying issue of affection. If she had your affection, she would have your attention. Uh, ironically, I'm speaking this uh, week, uh, uh, Pat Manzo, who's the superintendent of Teen Challenge in the New England and New Jersey district, asked me to be the keynote speaker at the marriage retreat for all the uh, Teen Challenge directors and their spouses for four days at the Marriott and uh, we're going to be talking, my wife and I, to couples. And one of the issues here is, is that if, if, you've, if you can't pay attention, it's because something else has your affection. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. When you were in seventh grade, you were not paying attention to the algebra teacher. You weren't. You were paying attention to the hot blonde in the front row. Can we just, can we just speak real here? Right? You were. Why? She had your affection. Mrs. Morrison did not have your affection. 
She didn't have your affection. She didn't have your. She didn't have my affection. She said, "Mr. Caparelli, come explain to the class the difference between two eights and three eights." I said, "Teach." That's what I say. Two eights, three eights. What's the difference? <laughs> Whatever has your affection has your attention. My sheep, because they're my sheep, because I have their heart. They know my voice. I have their ear. If he had your heart, he would have your ear. Now, I teach social psychology. One of the experiments we go over in class at North Point is something called the cocktail experiment. It was conducted in the 1970s. Social scientists were trying to understand what it is that causes people to pay attention. They recruited participants. They put them in a cocktail party. They observed their behaviors, and they noticed that they couldn't pay attention to anything because there was so much noise. You have a DJ playing music. You've got wait waitresses hustling and bustling. You've got conversations all over the floor. But the second thing their name was mentioned. Even if it was a hundred feet away, their antennas perked up like a radio station. Why? Because you love yourself. I don't love myself. Jesus would never use loving yourself as the golden standard to love your neighbor if you didn't love yourself. Love your neighbor as you. You love yourself. We know you love yourself. How many of you I am having a secret love affair with myself? There's a secret rendezvous going on between me and the guy in the mirror. Oh, you, you don't think that you love yourself? When you take a group picture and you look at the group picture, who's the first person you look at? And if there's 100 people in the picture and you don't look good, you come on, we're going to take the picture again. So you pay attention to anything that has your name on it. Because you have your affections, and because you have your affections, you have your attention. Just talk to somebody with ADHD. You can't focus, and all kinds of riddling. Just say their name. Oh, all of a sudden we have your attention. Business mogul, Catholic monk walking through Central Park in New York. Catholic monk is just very astute to nature. Loves nature, loves God's creation. And he says, you hear the birds chirp? He says, you hear the water cascading down the rocks? And the business mogul says, I, I don't have the attention for that. He's looking at his watch. They keep walking. And the monk, being wise as he is, reaches into his pocket, pulls out a quarter, throws the quarter to the ground. The mogul catches the quarter. He says, the money has your affection. Because the money has your affection, the money has your attention. So if, if you're wondering why I can't hear God, maybe if you care more, you'd hear more. God, make me care more. Make me care about what's happening in heaven. Make me care about what's happening in the spirit. Cause me to care about what's on your heart. Cause me to care about what you hate and what you love. Cause me to care about the, the causes of the kingdom. Cause me to care about your business. Lord, as I care, I know I'll begin to hear. Because whatever has my affection has my attention. Am I helping anybody in here today? Yes. Does Jesus have your heart? Because if he has your heart, he can have your ear. If he can say, my sheep, he can say, he knows my voice. Are you his? Where are you? The Bible says, set your affections on things above. Just, God, set my affections on things above. 
Ask him right now. Say, Lord, set my affections on things above. Set my heart on you, Lord. I pay attention to the stock market. I, I pay attention to my bank account. I pay attention to the Dow Jones. Lord, set my affections on things above. I pay attention to what others are saying about me. I pay attention to people's applause and their criticisms. Lord, set my affections on things above. Second thing, your ambitions. He says, my sheep know my voice. I'm sorry. Not your ambitions, your admissions. My sheep know my voice. I know them. I know them. I want you to think about that for a second. I know them. It sounds like a truism. A truism is something that goes without saying. It's a self-evident truth. You don't have to say it. Of course, God knows me. God knows everything. Psalm 139 says, before a word is on my tongue, he knows it completely. Before I think something, before I even utter a syllable, he knows exactly what is on my heart. Of course, he knows me. He knows you theoretically, but does he know you intimately? There'll come a day where he will look at some and say, depart from me. Not you never knew me. Depart from me. I never knew you. Selah. Just think about that. God never knew me. I never knew you. Secrets. Problem with secrets, Pastor Mike, whether it be secret stash of money, whether it be a secret of stealing something. The problem with a secret is you don't hide the secret, you hide yourself. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they didn't hide crumbs. They didn't hide an apple that was half bitten. They didn't hide some strange fruit that they eaten. What they hid was themselves. And the more you hide yourself from God, the more it feels like he's hiding from you. The more distance in the relationship and the harder it becomes to hear him. So if you want to hear him, the question is how much have you admitted? You say, God, I want to see your face. And God's saying back to you, I want to see your face. He wrestles with the angel uh, of, of the Lord all night, Jacob. The Bible says it wasn't until the point where Jacob had to answer the question, the angel asks him, what is your name? And when he says, my name is Jacob, I am a deceiver, I'm a hustler, I'm a heel grabber, I'm one who's always cutting lines, trying to... Get in front of people. I'm one that has to be above everyone else. When he says what his name is, now the angel divulges who God is. And God is saying, you want me to tell you who I am? You want me to share my secrets? Share your secrets. When there's a strain in the relationship between God and man in the book of Genesis, God doesn't say, Adam, Eve, here I am. I know you're lost. I'm right here. He says, Adam, Eve, where are you? Where are you? I can't hear God. God's saying, I can't hear you. I want God to show me his face. God's saying, I want you to show me your face. To the point where you reveal yourself to him. All your prayers begin with confess your sins to the Lord. You share yourself with him, he'll share himself with you. And if you feel like he's hiding from you, maybe, maybe you're hiding from him. Does God know you? Does he know you? 
Now, Carl Rogers taught us in the 70s that there are two selves. There's the ideal self and the real self. The ideal self is who we aspire to be. It's who we dream to be. It's the, the, the me I see in the scriptures. It's the me in Christ. It's the me that's virtuous. The ideal me is the me I'm constantly working towards. I'm aiming to be. There's the ideal me. But then there's the filthy, nasty, real me. And God did not die just for the ideal you. He died for the real you. He didn't just die for the Botox, synthetic you. He died for the nasty, filthy, old man, that you that goes back to your mother's womb. And he's saying, don't just show me the ideal you. Show me the real you. Take off all pretense this morning, all church clothes, all religious garment, and say, God, here I am, a sinner in need of your grace. What have you told God about you? He says, I know them. My sheep know my voice, affections. I know them, admissions. Lastly, they follow me, your ambitions. Now, anybody here ambitious? Anybody here with a little drive? You wake up in the morning, you got a list, you have an agenda, you got stuff to do. In fact, you don't just have a list for you, but you got a list for other people. Any real driven people in this place this morning? Right? I'm not just writing lists. You know you're driven when you don't just write a list for you, but you write a list for about five other people. Right? And you want to go where you want to go, and you want to do what you want to do, and you have a plan, and you love it when things pan out the way you plan them out. It makes you feel powerful. You love going to this city and making money and, and planning for tomorrow and having plans for the future. But Jesus says this, if you're going to hear his voice, then you are going to follow not your agenda, but you follow him. Now notice he doesn't say where. Follow me to Jerusalem, follow me to Samaria, follow me to Egypt, follow me to Bethlehem. Just says, follow me. What a test of trust. That if you're gonna hear God's voice, it means he's gonna give directions without destinations. Am I okay with God giving me directions without giving me destinations? Am I okay with even giving me instructions without giving me all the details? Can I handle following him without even knowing where I'm going? I'm asking him, Lord, where is the way? And he's saying back to me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I've learned that when I follow God, he does not give destinations. He just gives directions. He just says, follow me. Tells Peter, Peter, put the fishing pole down. Follow me. Where? Follow me. Abraham, leave your father's house. Leave your crazy family. Leave your dysfunctional kinfolk and go. Go where? Go to the land that I will show you. This is how God leads me. This is how God leads you. Does God tell you a year from now? Does he tell you about next week? No, chances are all he's telling you is the next step. The Bible says in Psalm 119, he is what? He's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, can we go a little deeper with this verse? Somebody say, go deeper, Pastor. Go deeper, Pastor. Lamp to my feet, light to my path. Feet is what's next. Path is 
what's ahead. Lamp to what's next. Light to what's ahead. Now, we think it's just being poetic or colorful, but when you go into the Hebrew, you start to see that there's some very nuanced terms in the Bible, and this is a great verse where we can bring out the nuances. A lamp is something that powerfully illuminates. It's a targeted light. It's very bright. A light is bright, but it's not that bright. It's more of a dim light. You got a lamp. The lamp illuminates. The light insinuates and if I'm going to tell you something about what's next I'm going to put a lamp on it I'm going to give some illumination but if you want to know what's ahead it's just going to be insinuation if you ask me what's next I'll give you the specific thing I want you to do Moses take your staff touch the water Peter drop the fishing pole he'll give you a specific instruction for what's next but if you ask him for what's ahead all he'll say is it's going to be good. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, it's going to be good. You got a light for the path, but you got a lamp for your feet. How many thank God for the lamp? Amen. I thank God there's some light on that path to give me hope, but I thank God for the lamp that's telling me my next step. Your ambitions. Are your ambitions surrendered to him? Because if you get your life all mapped out, if you dictate all the details, if you are the Napoleon of your earth, there's no room for God to lead you and direct you. You know what I have found? I found most of the time I'm asking him to tell me what he's doing. He doesn't tell me what he's doing. He tells me who he is. He shows me who he is. Years ago when we were renovating the church, Sacred Exchange, we had done this massive renovation like yourself, uh, almost half a million dollars, and uh, the electric went out. I don't know anything about electricity. I don't know anything about carpentry, trade work. I called my stepfather. That's the guy I told you about earlier from the Bronx. He shows up, and uh, he fixes the electricity. He's an electrician, and uh, he's, he's at it for like about four hours. And I ask him, I say, Fred, I said, what happened? What, why did the lights go out? You ever ask a question and then regret asking the question? <laughs> the horses are loose. Bring the horses back. Words come out of you and be like, catch him, catch him. He gives me this long answer full of tradesmen, jargon, vernacular. I said, Fred, I got it. I got it. He said, you got it. You understood what I just said? I said, I don't understand a thing you just said. He said, then why, well, how do you got it? I was just reminded of who you are and how competent and qualified you are. God, God can't tell you what's ahead. It's over your head. What's ahead is over your head. His ways are higher than your ways. You don't need to know what he's doing. All you need to know is who he is. That's why he says, follow me, me. All you need to know is who I am. Am. You just need to know who he is. You don't need to know what he's doing. It's too complicated for you. It's too above your understanding. It's beyond your comprehension. All you need to know is who he is. Can I remind you of who he is? I have found all through the Bible men are constantly wondering what God's doing and he's constantly showing who he is. All through the Bible. In Genesis... He's the creator of man. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. Leviticus, the high priest. 
Numbers, the wilderness feast. In Deuteronomy, he's our guide. In Joshua, he's the warrior by our side. Judges, he's our mighty deliverer. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted messenger. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our sovereign father. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the repairer of broken lives. In Esther, he's your destiny. In Job, he's your sanity. In Psalms, he's your morning song. In Proverbs, he's lady wisdom keeping you from wrong. He's a big God, amen? amen? I don't need to know what he's doing. I just need to know who he is. Ecclesiastes, he's the basis of living. In Song of Songs, he's the reason for loving. In Isaiah, he's the Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah, he's the prophet who weeps. Lamentations, he's the one who cries. In Ezekiel, he's the wheel in the sky. In Daniel, he's the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband married to the backslider. In Joel, he is your power. In Amos, he is your bearer. In Obadiah, he is your savior. In Jonah, he is your chastener. In Micah, he is your messenger. In Nahum, he is your avenger. In Habakkuk, he is your reviver. In Haggai, he is your restorer. In Zephaniah, in Zechariah, he is the everlasting spring. In Malachi, he is the sun who rises with healing in his wings. I think that's pretty sufficient. In Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he is the healer. In Luke, he is the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's Pentecost fire. In Romans, he is your justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he's the bread you eat. In Galatians, he's the freedom you breathe. He's our freedom today, huh? In Ephesians, he's your treasure. In Philippians, he's your pleasure. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Trinity. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is soon coming divinity. He's coming soon, amen? First and Second Timothy, he's your mediator. In Titus, he's your savior. In Philemon, he's the brother who welcomes. In Hebrews, he's the blood that washes. In James, he's the forgiveness of God. In First and Second Peter, he's the shepherd's rod. In First, Second, and Third John, he's the love of God. In Jude, he's the keeper of the ward. In Revelation, he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah! Stand up with me. Hallelujah, God! You've been trying to hear from God right now. You're saying, God, worship team, if you can come up play anytime, please play right away. You're saying, God, what are are you doing? God is saying, let me show you who I am. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Those of you that have been traumatized, I'm so glad he comes as a shepherd. A shepherd is a very calming voice. He's not a taskmaster. He's not a tyrant. 
He's a shepherd. Calms every defensive mechanism inside of us. It's safe to listen to me. Right now, the Lord is saying, it is safe to listen to me. It's safe. In fact, if you listen to me, you're going to live. You're not going to just learn. You're going to live. If you listen to me, I'm going to keep you from drifting into regions you shouldn't go into. If you listen to me, I'm going to keep you from bad company. If you listen to me, I'm going to protect you in your next relationship so that it's not like your last relationship. Last time you did it your way. Last time you did it according to your plan. God is saying, this time, listen to me. If you listen to me, I promise you, you will live. I will lead you into the abundant life. If you're in a mess right now, God is saying, listen to me. You're saying, God, pluck me out. God's saying, I'm not going to pluck you out. I'm going to instruct you out. You will get out of that mess one instruction at a time. You will come out of that Egypt one step of obedience at a time. God, I'm in a mess. I made such a mess of my life. God is saying, it's okay. I got a plan to get you out of that mess, but I'm not going to pluck you out. It's not going to happen in a second. It's going to happen in stages. It's going to be a test of your obedience. Will you listen to me? If you listen, I promise you'll live. How many want to live? How many know right now it's life and death? If that's you, I want you to come to this altar. Right now it's life and death for me, Pastor. I need to listen to him. I've made some bad decisions in the past. I've been involved in bad relationships. I've been involved in bad jobs. I've been involved in bad, even churches. And right now I'm listening to God and I want to listen to him. And I'm believing for something new this time. He's going to lead me into life. If that's you, I'm going to give one more time. I'm not going to beg you. Right now you come to this altar. I'm going to pray for you. Hallelujah. 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 Listen to live. It pays to listen. Hallelujah. Heed. Heed. Ears to hear what you're saying. Calm every defense mechanism, every fight, flight instinct, every part of her that wants to leave when it gets hard. Lord, every part of her that wants to fight when there's nothing to fight about. Heal her brain, God. Heal her mind. It's safe to listen to me. Hallelujah. Heal every trauma from the past. Hallelujah. She's listening to live this time. He is a shepherd. He doesn't drive you. He leads you. People drive you. He leads you. Jesus. Hallelujah. New relationships, oh God. New friendships. Show him whom to trust. Lord, let him not make the mistake of Samson. Telling his secrets to the wrong people. Telling his secrets to people that, Lord, that, that mean him harm. That are sent by Satan. I pray, Father, that you send him a friend that he can trust. Send him the people that he knows this is a godsend. He can say as David knew when Nathan showed up, this is the prophet from God. Send prophets his way. Send those that are godsends. Let it not be the same, Lord. Let it be different this time. New relationships, oh God. Restore his trust. Oh Lord, as we listen to you, as we listen to you, restore our trust. Restore it, Lord. We've listened to people and we've made bad decisions financially. We put money in stocks we shouldn't have put them into. Because people said, well, invest in this. And then it went wrong. But Lord, you're, you are a God of your word. What you say is yes and amen. You're not like man that you're fickle. You're not like man that you lie. What you say is bank. I pray, Father, you would trust in you. 
He wouldn't take an opinion poll. He'd get on his knees and say, God, what are you saying? The only applause that matters is from nail-scarred hands. Just Jesus, what he thinks, his approval. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Father. She trusts you. Father, even when there's no details, she's hearing. She's following. Give her the courage to act upon everything you say. Even when she's not trembling, Lord. Paul said, I came to you in fear and trembling. If Paul heard the Spirit say, go, he went scared. The Lord is saying to you, there'll be times where you have to go scared. She'll go in fear and trembling, but you will show her your glory. And every time she listens, she'll grow in her faith in you, in her courage, Lord, to act upon what you say. Oh, God. Hallelujah. Father, lead his life. Your plan. Hallelujah. You have a wonderful plan for his life. The problem is, so does everybody else. I pray that he would listen to you, God. Even those with good intentions that say, this is what you should do. He say, I got to hear what God has to say. Listen to you, Lord. His heart is in your hands to please you. To hear you say, well done. Oh, God. Hallelujah. Heal, Lord. Hallelujah.